Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. Very excited to have Brooke Baldwin on the podcast today. She just ended her 13-year run as the host of CNN's Newsroom with Brooke Baldwin. We talk all about how she got started in news, how you even work your way up in news, how the whole system works. I knew nothing about news and now I know something. And then what happens when you retire, how do you make that transition? How do you make that decision? Uh, one of the things that has helped her out is her new book, Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power, uh, where she interviews incredible women um, and extra ordinary, ordinary women, uh, or <laughs> the right way to say it, extraordinary, ordinary women. I don't know. See, this is why I couldn't do news. I can't speak in a cadence that is consistent or trustworthy. Anyway, Brooke can. And I had such a lovely time talking to her and hearing about a world that I really have no experience with, but I'm fascinated by. So please enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Brooke Baldwin. Brooke, I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I just want to dive in. I have a really burning question. Um, what is your pug's name and uh. how old is it and how did you get it? <laughs> I'm the sorry, best I first question of any podcast ever. You win, Grace. <laughs> you win. I, look, I scan your Instagram. I do my internet research and I have to talk about the things that really catch my attention. <laughs> Okay, this 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 is like the shit that matters. Um, I have a pug. He is yes. he he turns eighteen. Crossing my knocking on, he turns eighteen in August. His name is wow. Pugsley because I was twenty three oh. and thought that was adorable. It still I'm, is. It still is. All these Pugsleys. Um, I bought him. I I got him when I was twenty three. When I was in my second wow. TV job, I basically I was in I was in Huntington, West Virginia. I had just moved out of the fancy corporate housing that is the Ramada Inn off of I sixty four next to the Wendy's, where I ate way too many Frosties and, and hamburgers. And Gorgeous. I I was just like, I was lonely and I'd never had a dog in my life. And I was like, this is it. Wow. Boom. Pug. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he'll be able to vote soon. I oh guess. yeah. Like in <laughs> three months. Less Very than. exciting. <laughs> um, that's wonderful. I can't believe even 18 year old pug. Holy crap. I know. Uh, um, and well, your pug is older than your CNN career, I guess. <laughs> Just to make a bit of a segue, uh, one of the more notable things yeah. is that you've been working uh, on CNN for what, 13, 13. years? And yep. you just literally literally like three weeks before i've lost track of what day is it like i don't even know i'm 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 away i'm away but yeah a couple wow. weeks ago my last day april 16th was my last day okay so talk to me about that where does that decision come from how long does it take to like concretize and like did who did you talk to about it yeah i wish i had a like a it was on this day and this was the thought i sure. had and blah, i was leaving CNN. Yeah. it was i think an accumulation of things and time and if you look at my journal i probably you know thought about it or thought about like what are other things i could do for the last you know year or two and then certainly during the pandemic like yeah. getting um. knocked on my ass, you know, with COVID very early on April of 2020 and having wow. real moments with myself as I was in my sickbed for a couple of weeks 
as I had just finished, you know, doing all these interviews for my book and was like sitting in the deep end of just having interviewed all these extraordinary trailblazing, like well-known women and extraordinary ordinary women and having that all sit with me. I think like it was all of that. And if you read my epilogue, um, there's a line in there that's something like, I have a feeling that changes maybe on the horizon. And that's kind of what I was thinking about. And then Mm. it all like the book coming out and my leaving CNN was just a total coincidence. You know, you write a book, you figure out a public pub date, like two years prior, my contract was up in April. And so Mm. it all, it was this like, you know, thing. And it was a painful thing, do you know, to come to like leaving family and leaving a home you've known for so many years and really a dream job that I hustled all through my twenties to, to attain. But at the end of the day, I, I had to go. Um, yeah. it's hard to explain, you know, do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, have you, you know, I do. I, yeah, I, I feel like when you decide to pivot in something that has been one really beneficial in so many ways to you, like yeah. I'm sure creatively, yes. uh, professionally, all these things. And to let go of something, take a chance on something that's completely uncertain outside of it to leave like all of this certainty, especially in the last year, I feel like everyone's having a huge inner mm. discussion about mm-hmm. their relationship with certainty versus uncertainty. Totally. And Turns out I do not like uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've been having some deep dive discussions with myself about that. But I think that's incredibly cool and very inspiring uh, to be able to take, you know, initiative in yourself and mm-hmm. what your next chapter will mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure a big part of that, like you said, was your book. So mm-hmm. talk to me about the book now. Uh, first of all, for people who don't know, huddle huddling. Mm -hmm. What is this concept or this phrase? Um, A huddle is where women are energized by the mere fact of their coexistence. A huddle can be two Uh, women. It can be 2000 women. It can be, you know, where women thrive, succeed, and really just get amazing shit done. Like this is, these are the women you pray with or protest with or sweat with. These are the moms whose back you have or the coworkers who you're looking out for, right? Where you truly believe Mm -hmm. like their success is your success. That is a huddle. And so when did this concept for the book come up for you? Um, I think it, the, early seeds were planted after that wild weekend in Washington, January, 2017, where I was like embedded in the Trump motorcade. So I'm like balancing on the back of this flatbed truck as I'm going down constitution Avenue, you know, like what with my eyes on the newly elected president going to the white house for the first time watching Donald Trump and watching the new, new first lady and thinking, okay, like, what are the next four years going to look like? And mm-hmm. as a woman and as a journalist, I was troubled. And then yeah. the very next day, I'm back on the clock for CNN. I'm in the middle of the women's march. I'm surrounded by these like crazy, famous, amazing, trailblazing women, and also just half a million extraordinary, ordinary women who all wanted to show the F up that day. Yeah. And well, I love that term that you use, extraordinary, ordinary yes. women. I think that's really very wonderful. That's what I call them. Yeah, it's they, great. They are. They are. These are the women whose names you may not know, but they are mm-hmm. extraordinary, ordinary women. And so being surrounded by half a million women, I just felt like in my bones, that was my like Oprah <laughs> aha moment yeah, where yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, like, this is it. This is the thing that I am meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of, that was the beginning of American Woman, which was this digital series I did for CNN.com. But it was really yeah. like the seeds were planted for Huddle. Wow. Okay. So then how did you go about writing the book and seeking out the people that you wanted to talk to? I, I mean, 
don't we all have a, like a mental list of if we could invite certain people to a, to a dinner party or whomever. I mean, it was totally self-serving. I was like, okay, (laughs) I would like to, I would like to have you know, coffee with Megan Rapino, uh-huh. And then like, I want to have a chat with Stacey Abrams while she's in the middle of her crazy that it was happening in Georgia and that she would make time oh. for me to, you know, Reese Witherspoon and her whole team out in Santa Monica at hello sunshine to like, you know, hanging out with five badass like military veterans, CIA, former CIA, you know, Congress women wow. up on Capitol Hill at like almost 10 o'clock at night. Cause that was like the only time we could all get together. And I was like, should I bring wine? I was like, that's not professional. And I rolled up and they're like <laughs> pouring wine. They're like, eating ice cream. And I'm like, Oh, my people, my people. This is huddle energy right now. It's great. Yeah. And it must be nice because I don't, I truly have no um, base knowledge of how the the news works, you know, uh, on the inside. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that it must have been very freeing to make your own decisions on who you wanted to talk to for your book. Yes. It was, it was exactly, it was, you know, ownership, choice, freedom. Um, and I got to pick, right. So I I knew I wanted to have a cross section. I wanted these women to be diverse. I wanted them to Mm -hmm. cover various sectors of society and work and sports and and everything else. And so that's how I ultimately determined. And then, yes, I mean, and then like, I mean, obviously like the news cycle was super slow the last few years. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's like when you're one retiring two just released a book and I'm like, how do you have a second in Girlfriend, the brain. I had this. to, I had to write this book. I felt, you know, I was possessed. And yeah. so I, you know, when you're possessed by something, you make the time. And so yeah. in, in between like the weeks of covering the Mueller investigation and having panels of politicos on my show, you know, deconstructing what was happening with Donald Trump as the president yeah. on the weekends, I was eating like shrimp and grits with, you know, black <laughs> women in Houston yeah. talking about becoming judges. Like, but that wow. was, I needed to fill, I needed to fill my bucket. And that's exactly yeah. how I did it through, through that time. Now, if someone, um, well, two questions first is how has the feedback been since now it's, it's out in the world? Um, so far, I think it's been pretty good. I mean, I, I keep hearing <laughs> from various people, whether it's, I just heard from, I mean, Brandy Carlisle just like sent me a note and said, it's been cool. on her bedside table. And I was like, Hey, I just finished your memoir. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> My book is on your bedside table. And, um, you know, Stacey Abrams to Ava DuVernay to what I love is the, you know, the extraordinary ordinary women who I don't know who reach out to me on Instagram. They're like, I loved it so much. I bought it for like eight, you know, women in my huddle or like, Hey, can you come crash a book, a book group of book club of ours? You know, we're just so inspired by what you're doing and and all these stories of these women and everyone has like a favorite huddle. And so in that way, I'm, I'm hoping that it's resonating. And also just lastly, because we are coming out of this pandemic, Mm -hmm. right. And just how we all want to finally come back together and how we want to do that with intention and not taking that kind of connection for granted. I think that this book is just super timely. If there, let's say someone, you know, hypothetically sees it in, you know, the airport bookstore, doesn't know you, doesn't really, uh, hasn't, you know, preemptively known anything about the book. If they pick it up, what's like the one section that you hope they really, they read? Um, I think if they pick it up and they just start with the prologue, because I think that sets the scene of what a huddle is, why I'm the person who should be telling this story and what they'll Mm -hmm. get out of the book. Just read the first four pages. Boom. Cool. Um, 
I know you are, like you said, not in the United States right now. You, <laughs> I'm at an undisclosed, very beautiful <laughs> Caribbean <Yeah>. location. <laughs> You've been kidnapped in the most beautiful looking uh, area. Yeah. Uh, you're you're like officially I mean like you said you've been working nonstop and now you like get 20 years. to take time mm. is it hard for you to take a break do you feel that like energy every day of like having to do things um I'm very good at sitting on a beach and doing nothing and then drinking a nice. dark, dark and stormy at five o'clock. Let me tell you that that was my first, that first your... five days. That was my go to my go to. I would like wake up with the sun. I'm not even an early riser, but it's just so beautiful yeah. here. I was like sunrise, skinny dip, breakfast, <laughs> read for five hours, you know, dark and stormy yeah. dinner. Look at the stars, sleep like a lot of sleep. Wow, a lot of sleep. that is you're doing a micro eat, pray, love situation for yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's great. That, that's like my, my happy place. Um, yeah. but I think as I have been like doing, like talking to you and have like kind of one hand in the world and, you know, talking yeah. about my book or what's going on, or I have like one eye on the New York times and I'm like, what's going on with Liz Cheney? And what would I normally be doing if I was actually sitting at the news desk and how many people would I yeah. be talking about? I do still have those thoughts, but I'm also like really trying to, like, I think like the next couple of days really block out no offense world, but like block out the world yeah. and really journal. And, you know, I've had some wise people say to me, like, you need to put some lines on the legal pad and like, what do you mm. want to do? What absolutely do you never want to do? What do you like? What, what, what are the Smart. must haves? I need to do some of that and just like sort yeah. through the stuff. Cause are you, I mean, you're taking time off obviously and recharging and kind of like reconnecting to like what it is that you want to do mm -hmm. next. Is that mm -hmm. what you've you're kind mm -hmm. of figuring that out. Yeah. Yeah. I just cool. needed to like get away and take a breath um, before yeah. I like hard charge back into life. Whatever and next it is. Chapters. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm curious too, um, because I love your Instagram because you're just very much yourself on Thank it. You. There's no like, um, it doesn't seem like you have a intern doing something for you no. or posting as you or any of that kind of stuff. I'm curious. Um, or I, yeah, about the way that, the uh, personalities in the news interact with social media. It feels like obviously it's, you know, exploded. So it's this like pillar of how we share information mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. But being able to be yourself on mm -hmm. there versus constantly having to report things mm -hmm. on there. Did you ever feel like, uh, I guess, a push or pull on like being authentically yourself on social media? I think that for a while there, I was like, must have lashes and makeup yeah. and look yeah, like yeah. I'm a TV anchor. <laughs> and yeah. then, and then somewhere along the line that started to shift. I started just like, I don't know if it was like hitting 40 and I did this whole, like, you know, 40 things I had to do before I turned 40. And I was just very real and open ah. about it and how people, how people jumped in on that. And definitely after having COVID, you know, last April yeah. and, you know, I wrote this whole essay for CNN.com which ended up getting like a crazy amount of attention, which I never in a million years had expected. But I, I posted yeah. this photo of me looking like, how do I, I'm such a, I've been in a newsroom for too long. And I have such a potty, I have such a potty <laughs> mouth looking not well, um, you know, like hanging over the sofa, looking uh -huh. so not cute. And I think that that really resonated. And that was almost a thing that I needed to, I heard from so many people while I was sick. And I think they appreciated that, like, taking removal of the veneer yeah. and just like, this is how I roll. This is what I look like. And, yeah. you know, and so I want to show more of that. And I, and I think mm. I also really admire and, and, um, just, yeah, I admire other women, especially who, who do the same. And don't you think, I think, yeah. especially then coming back to CNN after COVID and 
we were in these, you know, like, so normally we had these, have these giant studios and instead, because mm-hmm. we were all being safe, um, we would all each have like what amounted to a fancy broom closet of a studio with one Fun. camera. <laughs> yeah. And I would sit there literally like at the very la- like last minute before I'd run up to do my show and like throw on, you know, a proper dress, but I would like yeah. have, the bottom half of me would be jeans and clogs or like jeans nice. and Air Jordans. And I just felt like from the bottom down, it was like, oh, like rooted. Like this is who (laughs) I am. And I think just that arc is just, I'm becoming more and more allowing myself to be me if that That lands. A hundred percent lands. I, yeah, I love me. I mean, I've been working on the internet for the last decade. And so I've only known how to dress from the waist (laughs) up and everything else on the bottom is just like a, you know, choose your own adventure. Yeah. But yeah. I'm always curious, too, because the news, you have to present yourself in a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. And so I I wonder, like, what are the faux pas or is there a psychology to the way you present yourself that makes you seem more trustworthy to people? Are there like actual restrictions or ideas of like colors you should wear that resonate with people Mm -hmm. or colors you should not wear that don't resonate with people? I've never been told in no, I mean, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think some of my morning anchor friends have been told like to wear brighter colors, but I think sure. that is not, that is sort of passe. And I, 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 I know for my own self, but I think there was a time there when like we were all wearing sleeveless jewel toned, you know, dresses and <laughs> popping yeah. off the screen. And that was a thing for a while. And we all wished we had like Michelle Obama arms. And then, right. and then I know for my own personal, like sartorial taste in the last like five years, I really just was into like more neutral colors and I would, mm. you know, wear a color here and there. But in terms of trustworthiness, I don't think the two are linked at all. I think like gotcha. one is just like how you feel comfortable and how you present yourself. And the other is like physically present yourself. And the other is just like how you present yourself to the audience and how you ask the tough questions or how you approach something with, with that degree of humanity that like, then the audience trusts you that that sort of back and forth. Well, okay. Uh, Building on that. I am a person that truly um, hates confrontation. So Mm. I wonder how you have developed your ability to ask tough questions over the years and Mm. not feel... I mean, I know it's in your job description to get to the truth of the matter about things. But uh, I'm curious if that was something that you had to develop or that's kind of always been within you in your career. I think that... I'm trying to think of like the, the various confrontational interviews I've had to do where you do a lot, a lot of homework and you think of all the different ways the person could zig and zag and how you need to be yeah. prepared with pushback and facts and everything else. And you do that just because it's what you have to do. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's just the job. I don't, I don't think yeah. I even overthought it, but I, I also do know that I'm not one of those people that like gets joy out of arguing on television. I think there sure. are some people who their, their thing is fighting. And mm-hmm. I think my thing is more, more, um, tell me like more about the humanity or making yeah. someone feel comfortable and bringing something out in someone that you wouldn't necessarily expect or asking the question that the audience is, you know, that is thinking like being relatable right. in that way. Um, but I, I don't like, I don't find joy in, in, in <laughs> arguing on TV. In gotcha moments. But yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't. But there are moments where I can think, for example, I've covered so many shootings in my career yeah. that it did. And, and I've never been touched 
you know, blessed. Like I've never had someone in my family been touched by it, but I've gotten to know so many people, like they're friends of mine. They would text me on the anchor desk when another shooting would happen. They'd be like, hang in there, bro. Like, I'm like, you're telling me to hang in there, you know, like, yeah. And so then when I would have a lawmaker on and we go, we have to go back and forth over certain, you know, gun laws. Sometimes I had a hard time um, having those conversations. And that is when you, that is when I found myself really pushing and also just like saying, Brooke, like, keep your cool, man. Keep your cool. (laughs) I couldn't do it. I give you so much uh, accolades Mm. for it. It is. um, Yeah, I I would have a difficult time with it. Now, I'm curious, uh, just going all the way back to the beginning, how did you find yourself interested in in news in like, and also, on top of that, I know that when you started your show, it was a bit of an accident that it went on for as long as it did totally so i'm curious one how you got started and then like how do you kind of work your way up into that position Mm -hmm. where you're filling in for maybe just a week and then it turns into 13 years (laughs) (laughs) still crazy it's so freaking crazy so i graduated university of north carolina chapel hill in 2001 Mm -hmm. i knew i actually never wanted to be on camera. I thought to be a producer. I wanted to like direct, I wanted to like be the boss, like, you know, call the shots from behind the scenes. And then uh, another story for another time that changed this, my senior year in college. And so I graduated and I worked in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was my first TV station. So like for people who don't know, so number like there are 200 TV markets. Number one is, you know, New York city, 200 Mm -hmm. is like, tiny town, Alaska. And I landed at like market 192 and <laughs> where like five people were watching me on TV, which was awesome. So I could like fuck wow. up and it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't matter, you know? And so Great. I worked there as a reporter. Then I was promoted to working weekend mornings, which was when like my girlfriends who were huddling in big, cool cities were like drunk dialing me from their happy hour at like (laughs) seven o'clock at night. I was going to bed because I was waking up at two and three in the morning to be a one woman newsroom on the weekend and, you know, fielding on the phone, phone calls, writing my entire show, producing my show, rolling the teleprompter with my foot. Sometimes backwards on accident, you know, and watching (laughs) all the words go the wrong way as I'm live on TV. But that's when like, you have to make those early mistakes, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to learn. And so I I worked in Charlottesville. Then I moved to Huntington in Charleston, West Virginia, where I got the pug and moved out of the Ramada. And then (laughs) I moved to Washington DC where I was a reporter and we'd be just chasing stories. And I covered some really hard, hard, hard news there. And then came to CNN in 2008 because when you're from Atlanta, you yeah. grow up drinking Coca-Cola and rooting for the Braves and watching CNN. <laughs> and so I, it was a dream yeah. to be at CNN. And I moved there having this promise of work as a freelancer, basically working as a contracted employee with the hope of being hired pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I moved there. I remember walking into the building for the first time, all excited. And they were like, just kidding. Um, great recession. We frozen all the jobs, like, sorry, come back when, you know, things are better. And it was a total record scratch moment for me where I left a perfectly good job and a really nice life in Washington to take this leap in Atlanta. And that's when I, at age 29 moved back into my childhood bedroom because (gasps) I had no guarantee of pay, thus couldn't pay rent. Yeah. And I'm living and it was the beginning of the end of my parents' 40 year marriage. So I had a front row seat to that as I'm not working. And it was like, wow, 
it was hard. Like just that a little bit of a lot going on. <laughs> and there were other, like there were multiple things happening and, sure. you know, sometimes life just like throws it all at you at once. Yeah. And that was my existence. And so I was like, damn it. Like if I've got to have one thing succeed and it's got to be my career. And so I just like kept showing up. I was like this gnat, like people yeah. couldn't get, that was like, flying all around. They couldn't quite, you know, and I just kept showing up and I kept, that was essentially squatting in a temporary office. And I don't know what these people must've thought of me, you know, and I I was like the Swiss army knife doing, like I was, did a documentary for CNN Espanol back when my Spanish was much better. I, I was over at CNN international anchoring the international news overnight for like the, for Asia at 29, I was at headline news anyway. So I finally, convince CNN domestic CNN US, which is what yeah. we all watch to, you know, let me jump on TV here and there and endeared myself to enough people to where I started really working a lot. And I yeah. was, you know, took, it took CNN two years. But they wow. That's a crazy ass story. Yeah. Uh, and also just a testament of true perseverance slash, cra- slash a little crazy. A little crazy, but little you need crazy. that to be able to get up when you get kicked down. And so, wow, that's very inspiring. Thank okay. You. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we okay. get back, I have more questions for you. Surprise, awesome. surprise. We'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Hi, friends. Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so appreciated because again you are very appreciated for giving us your time your ears your attention whatever it may be uh and that was my couple of things now back to me me brooke i'm gonna ask you the two questions i ask every single guest that is on the podcast yes and uh the first is who alive or dead would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i just is it crazy? The first person that comes to my mind, this is sort of a serious thing, is I think of, I mean, he's gone, but Osama bin Laden. I just think of yeah. 9-11. I mm-hmm. think of everything that's happened in this country. I think of my dear friend who's a commander in the U.S. Navy, and I had been over in the Middle East with him. And I just think of, I just, I don't know, my mind went yeah. to OBL. There you go. I don't know that we've had that answer before, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a valid answer. Um, okay. The other question I ask every single guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or like a bathroom emergency situation, but you can only use three words or like small phrases to describe the event. So for example, mine Mm -hmm. is college jogging front lawn. (laughs) Yeah. Quite a time. Um, Hold on. Yeah. You can take your time. Um, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say Cancun okay. spring break <laughs> okay. Bacardi rum. That's all I'm gonna wow. Say. I would not have thought that. Good for you. You did like an MTV Cancun spring break. Oh, accidentally. I'm- 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm a little jealous. I've never done that, oh, yeah. but I always wanted to. Oh, uh, yeah. I did it. I did it. I did it enough for enough of us. I'm sure. <laughs> well, no follow-up questions on that. Um, and now we have a different section of our podcast where uh, it's called Hot or Deep. And you can basically give us a hot take on something if you uh, if something is kind of, you know, on your mind or we can give you a topic uh, or you can choose to answer a deep question that we have prepared for you. Mm, I. I feel like I could answer that in a wonky way with like what's happening with Republicans and Liz Cheney and the <laughs> midterm elections, but I'm going to take a deep question from you instead. A deep Hit question. Me. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you ever felt like a fraud? Yes. Are you kidding me? I mean, I was yeah. just telling the story of being in my late twenties and trying to make it at CNN. And I remember, I mean, I was 29 anchoring CNN international. Who did I think I was? Um, you know, being this authority on what was happening in like global policy or whatever the, whatever these massive international stories were that someone put me in that seat and said, yes. And I, I mean, I know me and I know I did as much homework as I possibly could have. And I had producers who were helping me, but I felt like a total fraud. I'd come from being this like crime reporter in Washington, DC, fresh, you know, at at CNN trying to just become a CNN, you know, correspondent. And I'm trying to like make some money and they're offering me like two nights a week. And I don't know who was watching and like, God bless you for tuning in. (laughs) Um, you know, thank you for that. But like, Yeah. yeah, I felt like a total fraud. I mean, that it's, that's wild. Uh, the more I talk to people about, you know, the idea of imposter syndrome and, yeah. you know, feeling like that, it's interesting and a bit helpful to know that everyone has experienced this in some kind of capacity. Yeah. I'm curious when you, uh, you know, at what point during the show that you were filling in for, did you find security and feeling like it was yours, like it wasn't going to be taken away from you? Or was Ooh, there a e- never a point that you felt that way? Yeah, um, I think definitely for a handful of months. So like mm-hmm. the, the, the guy, I ended up becoming an anchor in, I was like, started October 2010. Okay. This guy got fired and I, they were like, hey, can you keep the seat warm for a week? And right. I was like, Okay. (laughs) And then a week turned into two, turned into three, turned into 13 years. And I think it probably fully felt like mine, maybe like the first, definitely the first six months. Mm. I was like, even though they're telling me it's mine, like they could take it away from me. And 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 by the way, I know that they could have taken it away from me at any point in time. So maybe like some degree of that answer is like any day. Anytime they could have, but it did feel like mine, I would say for the last like real like chunk of years. Yeah. um, It felt like mine. Like I, like I dare you to take it away from me, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm sure it, and I wonder if this is like a a conscious or it becomes like this unconscious thing that you develop your style of show, Mm -hmm. you develop Mm -hmm. your tone of voice and your message. Mm -hmm. Um, did you do that like consciously? Were you testing different ways to present or testing different stories that you wanted to uh, highlight? It's funny because on my last day, my team surprised me at the very end of my show. They ran this like 
best of, you know, for, for a couple of minutes. And the first uh, couple of clips were of me at that time, like just having started anchoring at age 30, 31. Yeah. And I saw myself just like projecting this voice and like being <laughs> like an anchor, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And, and that's when, and it's funny because I was just finishing this Brandy Carlisle memoir and she talks about early on, you're like recording this, um, recording and mimicking and doing what you think you're supposed to mm-hmm. do because it's what you've seen. And I'm sure I did that for the first bit of doing my show because I thought like, okay, this person dresses this way or this person speaks right. this way. And I must do that because I must be successful. And then at some point it just like you shed that. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think I ever was like today, I'm going to try asking a question this way. It was more like what feels comfortable for me. And a lot of that had to do with the story selection, you know, Mm -hmm. like what I would be most interested in, I think would make the most compelling television. Um, those days when I did have those choices over how I could really shape a show or shape an, 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 an interview, I wrote a lot of the questions for most of my interviews and with, with the help of an amazing team and, Mm -hmm finally, ultimately just feeling most comfortable being myself. And it's a funny yeah. thing. I talk to young people starting out, you know, you hear their, like their, their voice or their record, the recording track. And it's so put on. And I just say yeah. to them, like, try to talk. I mean, you're, you're so good at being just totally conversational grace. Like it's a, it's that it's like feeling natural and moving on a hand mover and like talking to, you know, let's yeah. talk to me on TV as though you're talking to someone like semi-formally, you know, you're not talking to like a girlfriend and maybe it's yeah. kind of like your grandmother, you know, but yeah. just like try to be at ease and it's an art, you know, this it, it yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, I also don't know, like, I, but it, I don't know that I ever made a conscious choice of being like, here's exactly, un- other than the start of doing this mm-hmm. podcast, was there a conscious choice of like, this is how we want to do it? Um, but I, it just develops over time, like you're saying, like things yeah. that feel good and feel comfortable in the way that you interact with people, you kind of like, uh, it stays in your zeitgeist a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, do you take classes in, <laughs> forgive me, new school for yeah. uh, cadence, for dialect, for talking the certain style of, uh, you know, vague? They, they are. There are. I, n- I never took one, but okay. I definitely know there are voice and diction classes and journalism mm. schools. And, and sometimes like if you have I never had an accent. I never tried not to have yeah. an accent, even though I'm from Georgia. I'm from Atlanta. It's a pretty big city and we don't yeah. all, you know, sound like what you may think we're supposed to sound like. And but I do think some people try to ditch accents or speak just a bit more professionally. I think that like I write about in my book, how, you know, my grandfather was this Presbyterian minister and he had this bold voice. And there was yeah. a moment when I was on a field trip, I was like in the fifth grade and we're all sitting around a table and they picked me to play George Washington. Like, because I have the, <laughs> even though I'm a girl, like I have this like booming voice. Yeah. It was a big moment for me, Grace. It was a big moment. It set me up for success, baby. Truly, that, was a, that probably was a big life defining moment for it you. It was a moment. And so, yeah, so I, I feel like I've been, I, I've needed help in other ways and learning. I'm still learning how to do things certainly, but like, I've just always had this voice. It's funny because I'll be somewhere and I may, I'll look like, I don't really have makeup on. I won't look like a CNN person, but people I'll be like ordering a, you know, fries and a hamburger and they'll be like, Brooke Baldwin, you know, like they hear my voice, you know, that's That's always so cool. That's very fun. Um, 
Also, outside of, you know, news and uh, all of that, what do you watch? Do you watch anything or are you kind of like, I'm don't I'm off TV now. I don't want to look at anything on TV right now. Yeah, I I don't watch a ton of TV. I read all, I read a lot of my news. Um, I, but in terms of fun things I watch, like I certainly have watched everything from like normal people to Bridgerton to the crown to this Mm. is us to, I'm actually like on a throwback kick of sex in the city. It is amazing how much that show holds. And I think because I live in Manhattan and it's been Mm. just hard during a pandemic, everything's just changed so much. Like I've just craved seeing, you know, crowds and restaurants. And I think because I'm in writing huddle and this is like this huddle of women, you know, in moving through Manhattan, always having each other's backs. And so that's been, I'm, I'm like nearly finished six seasons watching that at the end of my day. See, okay, it's that's interesting because I've mm. never watched an episode oh, of it. I know, nice. and I don't know why. I try to like ask myself, like, what is it that you are afraid of with this show? And mm. I think it's that I might get too into it if I. It's uh, they're start such it. they're bite sized episodes. It's like twenty five minutes. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe, maybe, no, I'm lying. I think it might be an 45, whatever it is. Um, it just flies by. It's so good. And it's also so fun. Just if you enjoy fashion, Patricia Field was in charge of, you know, putting these women in these clothes and it's crazy to think that they shot it. It, It's, it's totally art. And to think they shot it, you know, when was it like in beginning of the two thousands and that so much of the clothes still hold today. And I think also I was watching it in my lonely, like, you know, living in West Virginia and going to bed at seven o'clock at night. Like that's when I was watching (laughs) sex in the city. I'm like wishing I was living in Manhattan with girlfriends. And now it's this funny, like full circle moment where I'm like, all right. Yeah, you I just wrote a book similar. about like females uh, exactly. supporting each other. And now you get to take a vacation after being on CNN for 13 years. So maybe this show really helped you too. Okay. I'm yes. learning all of these things. Terry so- Jessica Parker, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yes. right? Yes. Um, okay, we're going to take one last break. And when okay. we get back, we're going to give some advice. So Great. we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Okay, uh, now this is the section of the podcast where we try and give some advice. Uh, caveat, we are not professionals. Um, <laughs> so take this advice uh, with the salt and all of that. And uh, here we go. This is from Rachel. And I feel like this is a bit relevant to perhaps some of the things you are experiencing currently. Um, she asks, how do grownups get into new routines? Not sure if it's pandemic related, but I can't seem to get myself into a successful pattern in anything. Healthy eating, cleaning, exercise, reading more versus mm. uh, being on my screen. How I can do maybe six days tops of anything new and then I burn the F out and fall off the wagon for at least two weeks. Anyone else? I'm this close to making myself a sticker chart with prizes or some shit because I'm desperate. (laughs) What do you do to get yourself into a new, healthy, productive habit or routine? Uh, I love the sticker chart. I love I love the sticker chart. um, And I love a good sticker chart. (laughs) (laughs) So best of both worlds here. Big fan of both. Um, um, yeah, I'm a very, I agree. That's the thing that stuck out to me about this question is that I'm a very, um, 
I like to say that I treat myself like a dog sometimes in terms of that I'm very treat oriented Mm -hmm. in my my productivity needs to be rewarded in some capacity for me to keep up with it. But this is something that I do struggle with a lot. Um, One of my taglines online is like consistently inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And it's been coming up for me a lot over the last year of like, you know, really it's up to me to create my own routines and patterns and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I have learned is like giving yourself a break a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. when you aren't as, you know, you know, she's saying that she does six days on and then like two weeks off. And I think once you know that about yourself, you can tend to like preemptively mm-hmm. uh, do that for yourself. Like if you start something with the understanding that you probably won't keep it up because you just never keep up things like that mentality is going to be self-destructive eventually. I would say jumping off of that, I would say also like doing the thing Monday through Friday and then letting yourself fully cheat on the weekends. So it's not like whether it's working out or food or or meditating or whatever. So it's not like, okay, cold turkey, I must do all the things starting today for the rest of my life. Like, let's be realistic. And I also love your idea of treating yourself, like treat yourself more often than you think you should. Like you're worth it. A hundred, hundred percent. I also think, yeah, like what you're saying that if you were to give yourself like a month to try to maintain something, whether it's like eating healthy or, you know, a new hobby or learning something, a language or whatever. If you just say, I'm just going to do it this month. And then by the end of the month, if you've done it, I've heard from people that are successful at this, that it usually (laughs) continues without much effort after that. Yeah. Love it. Are there any hobbies that you're looking to get into now that you have all of this free time or not all this, some freer time? Um, I think I'm just, I'm a huge traveler. Like I used Mm. to love being on planes. I'm my happiest version of myself when I have like a plane ticket in hand, you know, or a destination. Like when I go to my Delta app, if I have nothing, I'm like, oh, so, you know, (laughs) we've all had to become accustomed to that, right? During the Mm -hmm. pandemic. But like the first second I got my vaccine, I was able to go to Atlanta and see my family. And then like, you know, it was like peace to, to the BBI. And so I think like really having a minute to finally see my huddle, see my, my, the ladies in my life. Um, and really not just like a, not like a three day visit, but since I do have time and I don't know how long I'm going to have this time, like I want to be with them for, a solid seven days, if possible. Yeah. That just feels like luxurious and naughty, and it shouldn't feel naughty, but it do, you know it does. Yeah, I mean, now I'm with you. I used to travel all the time, and now I feel like I have to relearn all of the tool mm-hmm. sets uh, that I built up for traveling uh, with ease, rather mm-hmm. than with like paranoia that I'm not doing something correctly. Totally. Totally. Um, Brooke, this has been so fun. We've reached the end of the podcast, but mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. we wrap up completely, we like to give our guests a little token of uh, our appreciation. And it's a personalized um, horoscope um, from us to you for making time for us. And I believe Melissa might be able to send you yours in the chat uh, if you'd uh. like to read it out loud for everyone. Okay. Dear Cancer, crab of the stars, as Jupiter enters Pisces later this week, you'll be in the right space to rediscover your true potential. Hmm. Mm. And if that true potential is just chilling with your old AF pug with the strong glass of Moscato, that's fine. You've worked hard enough. Yeah, or dark and stormy, whatever your drink of choice is. Mm. 
Um, Thank you so So much for all the conversation. This has been so lovely. Uh, Where can people buy the book or see you in conversations about it or find you online if they don't know? Yeah, I would say two places. If you want to learn about me and the book and all things Huddle, go to huddlethebook.com. And I would love to have you follow me on Instagram. Just it's at Brooke underscore Baldwin. Brooke with an E. Awesome. Grace, thank you. Thank you. This has been so lovely. Go get the book, guys, and go follow her new adventures and see what she's up to. And we'll see you guys on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. With Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. And an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. (laughs) 